I dressed up just for you, Julie. I promise. <laughs> it is um, always an absolute privilege. And notice I've been boxed in. For those who were here at my last sermon, I basically traversed the entire hall, and I have been strongly rebuked. Uh, and so I am in a box, and like a pantomime, if I walk out the box, you all have permission to holler and shout and shout at me. Um, it is a privilege to be able to speak God's word. I thank Julian and Katia for um, trusting me to be able to bring um, something that's been on, on my heart for um, the last couple of weeks, but, but is certainly a theme in my life that I take very seriously. So for the three of you taking notes, um, we are going to be talking about more like Jesus. And um, before we do that, when you close your eyes, I want you to ask the Spirit of God. Uh, the Bible talks about seed being cast upon soil, and actually it's the role of the soil as to whether that seed will bear fruit or not. And, and the Bible analogizes the soil as the, uh, as the heart that is to receive the word. So would you, would you just ask the Spirit of God to open your own heart? Would you ask him to speak to you through, through what we're going to discuss today? Spirit of God, I thank you for every life in this room. I thank you that they are deeply known and loved by you. I thank you that there is nothing in their past, nothing in their future that will separate them from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And I pray that by your Spirit, your word today would bear much fruit, that we would look more and more like your son, Jesus Christ, in every aspect of our lives, not just on Sunday. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that we'd come to love and know you better today. In Jesus' name, amen. And so for those of you who enjoy a roadmap, um, I want to start out by just discussing the whole topic of Christian maturity. What, what, what does it mean to grow up in the Christian faith? What does it mean to mature? And um, once we've talked about that, I'm going to talk about two aspects that I have personally experienced in my own life that I feel form discipleship and form us more into the image of Christ. And so we're going to talk about the descent of discipleship and the ascent of discipleship, and I hope that we get out of here before three o'clock. I'm joking. We'll, we'll get we'll get out we'll get out before then. I promise. Um, so, in a nutshell, if you take nothing from this sermon except this one thing, Christian maturity is to look more like Jesus. It is not necessarily associated with doing stuff. It is not associated with titles. You become more mature when you look more like Jesus. So let's start out with a couple of scriptures just to back this up. So 2 Corinthians 3.18. I'll give you a second to go there. We will be jumping around a little bit here. Um, but this is a beautiful verse where Paul is illustrating what it means now to be a believer and what it means to follow Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, and we are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Just one more verse here, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. And so Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, to equip his people for works of service, that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith 
and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. There's that word. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What is so unique about the Christian faith is not that God remains at a distance as you try and pacify him with sacrifices, as you try and seek some sort of self-enlightenment to try and appease his anger. The most remarkable thing about the God we serve is that he has made it available for you to become like him. And he provided the template for what does God look like in the person of Jesus Christ. And so the radical statement that I put to you today is Christian maturity is to look more like Jesus, which is you looking more like God. And that can appear even blasphemous to the majority of world religions where God is holy and man is not. But the remarkable aspect of the Christian faith is that not only has God brought you near and sanctified and redeemed you, but he has not just saved you so we can sit around and one day parachute off to heaven. But then in the process of this life, we become more and more like him through the everyday seasons that he brings us through. And I think one of the most um, obvious statements I can make, but often a, a very, very helpful one, is if I want to become like someone, if I, if I want to spend uh, my life looking like Julian, I tell you, you know, <laughs> let's suppose that were, <laughs> which is a beautiful aim. Um, a, there is only one, but suppose I want to try and get as close to Julian Adams number two as possible. Um, it's very difficult, it's very difficult I'm a South African accent, but it's very difficult if I don't spend time with him. It's, it, it can be something I can study, I can follow his social media, I can talk to his wife, I can ask his friends, but if I don't spend time with him, it's very unlikely I'm ever going to be able to be like him. And the most remarkable aspect um, of the discipleship with Jesus is that he has invited every one of us to be with him. His invite to the disciples when he met them was not, here's a bunch of theology, here's a new set of rules. It's come follow me, come watch, come be with me, come see how I live. Because that is the way that we mature, that we become like Christ, that we become like God, is you be with him. This is why the Bible says that when Christ left, he gave us of his spirit to be with us. That's not just kind of like, you know, um, helpful, uh, little like dynamite that the Holy Spirit gives us. Um, no, actually, the Bible says that the spirit of God knows the mind of God. He knows the thoughts of God. He says to his disciples, the spirit of God will remind you of all the things that I have said. The reason the spirit of God is with all of us is so that you can have a daily chance to walk with God, to know him, to become like him. And in that process, become what the Bible calls Christian maturity. And so um, there's another beautiful verse in, in 1 John 4. So the famous line, 1 John 4, 17, um, God is love. Amen. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us. And so we will have confidence on the day of judgment. I mean, this is pretty good. How do you have confidence on the day of judgment? You brought people to church. You read your Bible more often. You memorized scripture. You became a missionary to a far-off land. No, this is how we have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Yeah, the principle of Christian maturity is not necessarily doing, it is being. Yeah. And the way to be like Jesus is to be with him. 
Now, this whole aspect of being like Jesus or being like God is it's not the first time you come across this in the New Testament. For those of you who are here for Katy a couple of weeks back, we looked at Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, and the Bible clearly states that God made man and women in his image, and that through the fall, that image of God was corrupted and lost. Now, if you go back to this, um, I'm not going to read all of Genesis 2, but you'll remember that when Satan comes to tempt Eve, and Adam was hanging around, um, kind of with, uh, firstly, the only sin that they could do, realize that Adam and Eve did not have a concept of jealousy, anger, murder, lust, violence. The only sin that Satan could tempt them with in order to take away their bearing of the image of God was, you have to eat of the tree. That, that is the only law at that time. So that's not particularly interesting because Satan has to tempt them with that. What's interesting is the rationale that Satan provides for why they should break that law. And what does he say to them? He says to Eve that if you take of the tree, you'll have wisdom, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. Now, as Katya mentioned last time, it's already the case that they are like God. They are already made in his image, and Satan tempts them with something that they already have in their possession. But actually, this goes one step further. So if you go to Isaiah chapter 14, you can see a bit of history here. And it's interesting to me why Satan would use this mode of rationale to try and convince Eve to break the one law that God has set for them. This is Isaiah chapter 14, and it recounts the, the story of Satan. Verse 12, how you have fallen from heaven. Morning star, son of the dawn, you have been cast to earth, you who once laid low the nations, and you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the cloud. I will make myself like God. The reason that Satan tempted Eve with be like God was because that was his sin was because that was the thing that brought him down. And he thought the only way that I can convince someone else is what convinced me. And so Satan feeds, feeds Eve the very lie that he found. And what is unbelievably beautiful is that through Christ, he is restoring what was lost all the way back at Eden. And let me explain this. The reason that the Satan hates the church, the reason that Satan is like a roaring lion out to devour you, is not because he's jealous of your life. He doesn't care about your house or your career or your new girlfriend or whatever thing you're rejoicing in. The thing that Satan hates is that you get to be like God, the one thing that he couldn't attain. And to the extent that he can corrupt the way that you represent Christ is his ultimate victory. And what is remarkable, what is remarkable is that he was perfect and beautiful and so close to attaining the image of Christ. And now God has taken wretched, sinful, broken people and given them the thing that Satan could never attain. This is why Satan wants to break the church. And this is what you guard in your heart against. He is not bothered about your stuff. He's bothered about who you reflect. So... We're going to talk a little bit about how, how does, <laughs> are you okay? Are we doing all right? Okay. That was the intro. We've got a bit, we got a, we got, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't started my timer, so we're going to be here a while. 
And I want to talk to you about how this process of maturity manifests in our lives as disciples of Christ. Um, I want to talk about the descent and the ascent of discipleship. And I want you to be aware that this can happen um, within different seasons of your life. You can go through what feels like a descent in your discipleship. And you can go through seasons of abundance and ascent and things are going really well. Um, But this can also happen internally within your own life where parts of your life feel that they are on the ascent and other parts of your life feel like they're on the descent and the contradiction becomes painful in and of itself. But I want to talk to you about uh, at least how I experienced it, the way that God uses these seasons to mature us, to grow us, to make us more like Christ. So back in February of 2013, uh, I, was, I was at university studying, um, and, and I was immensely privileged. I mean, think all the student stereotypes, the, 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 you know, the cheap apartment, the low-cost food, the scrapping together, complete opposite. I had a 900-year-old castle I lived in. I had like three meals a day served to me by silver like butlers. You know, it was like insane. Um, and, and, and I was just having this moment with God. I think I was in like my second year, and I, and I walked up over this beautiful hill in the city, where, and, and kind of sun was setting over the buildings. And I just I don't know if you ever had one of those moments where you're like, my God, this is really good moment right here. Like this, this is really blessed. Jesus, you are good. And I remember the Spirit of God speaking to me super clear. I could take you to the exact spot where He said, He said, Aaron, difficulty is about to come your way. You're about to go through a difficult season. I want you to be prepared for it. Now, that's not what you want to hear <laughs> from the Lord. Um, and, and, and I'm grateful that God gave me a heads up. I wish you would do it more often sometimes. But what followed over the next six months was only what I could kind of describe as a, as, as a, as a stripping away. It was, it was stuff that I had that I lost, things I hoped and dreamed for that fell apart. Particularly, it was around jobs and internships, graduating. Everything fell apart in possibly the worst way it could. I lost my funding for my master's program. I was out of university with no sense of direction or money to do anything. And I, and I learned a couple of lessons throughout that process um, that I want to share with you. Um, I think the first thing that becomes exposed in your hearts when, when you go through a, this kind of stripping back, the, uh, Jesus talks about in John 15, he talks about the pruning process. He, t- he talks about how a gardener will prune a plant and cut it back such that it can be more fruitful further down the line. So I want you to know this is a natural part of being a Christian. This does not mean that you are necessarily in sin and out of line with God's will. This is a very normal, natural part of what it means to be a Christian and Christian maturity is to be able to to recognize it and not freak out, and to see how God could use that for the building of your faith. Um, And the first thing that you will find in that stripping back process is you begin to find out if you're living to build his kingdom or your kingdom. And I think so often we can treat God as this kind of cosmic vending machine that if we just do good stuff, he's going to give us things. And often we use God as a kind of like ace up the sleeve to get our perfect conception of the good life. And so we have these ideals that we're trying to work toward. And we're really hoping that God's fitting in line with our plans. We're kind of hoping that he's on board with our like three-step success plan. 
And, and what you find in these moments is, are you living for his kingdom or are you living for your kingdom? I became very attached to seeing progress in my career in seeing progress in my educational attainment. And I associated that with being in the will of God, God blessing me, things going well. I, I associated human success with spiritual progress. And, and, then, and they can be similar, but they're definitely not always. And, and it really begins to expose in your own heart, are you living for his kingdom or are you living for your kingdom? I think the second thing that it, it really exposes in our hearts as well are, are the idols that we have, are, are, are the things that we kind of like, and I know the word idols kind of spins up this image of some kind of like prehistoric like monkey statue people bowing down, but, but I, I, idol is anything that you worship. Idols are anything that has control over you. And notice idols do not necessarily need to be bad things. The immature Christian still starts out dealing with the obvious idols probably shouldn't be angry and jealous and violent or addicted to gambling or porn or these other things. Like, that's the starting point. It's more difficult when you get attached to good idols. It's more difficult when marriage becomes an idol that you're working toward. It's difficult when career success becomes an idol that you can't live without. It's, it's difficult when even having a family and children is this ideal conception that you can't think how you're going to live without it. And, and what happens when God begins to challenge these idols in your life? This is C.S. Lewis in his book. But if they, and when he talks about they, he's talking about these good things. If they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshippers. I want to tell you, whatever idol you have, even if it is seemingly and objectively a good thing, idols always break the hearts of their worshippers. And if you lean your life and if you build your sense of foundation and happiness on how close you are to your conception of the good life, how happy you are in your career, your job, your family, all these aspects, I'm not denying these are beautiful, good gifts from God, but they are not the foundation. And eventually that idol will break your heart. And, and throughout this stripping process, it's incredibly vulnerable because you begin to realize, hey, what am I really standing on? Like, what do I really believe? What, what, what do I really anchor myself in? And we all love the, the Philippians 4 verse where Paul says, I count everything a loss for the excellency of knowing Christ. And then he finishes that verse and saying, by, uh, for whose sake I have lost all things. I think we like the conception of Christ more valuable than this stuff, but don't ask me to lose it. And this is what happens in this stripping back process. And, and I want to speak about something that I really had to go through, which is I had a conception of the perfect life. And, and it almost went, the, the, the narrative was, I'm climbing this mountain, and eventually there's going to be a summit. There's going to be this summit where my career's great, where I've got like a, a successful company, where I've kind of got a beautiful family, I'm active in the church, healthy, well. And, and you've got this conception, and you feel like, I'm climbing this mountain, and eventually there'll be a summit. I want you to know that the perfect life is a mountain with no summit. It doesn't matter how high you climb, you will never find that summit. There will continually be another aspect of your life that you feel incomplete. There will persistently be someone else's life that you look at and think, if only I could just grasp that one more. And what I found is as I accumulated stuff, my life actually and my sense of happiness became narrower and not wider. 
I lived in a narrower space where I had to have 12 plates juggling, in, uh, 12 plates spinning in order to feel content. Had to have the, the top grade in class. Had to have the internship set up. Needed to be in health there. Had to be athletic. Needed to have a girlfriend. Had to have my career on the right track. And you would think those things bring you joy. They don't. They constrain you because you spend your time fearful you're going to lose them. And so this conception of the good life is a mountain that has no summit. And while other people are staring, envy, and drooling at your life, you stay awake at night worrying that one of the plates might fall. And, and, and what you have and what you find throughout this stripping process is that God begins to expose some of these idols, the, some of these uncomfortable things that are good things, but they're prioritized wrong. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God. It actually doesn't say that you only have to seek. It ends up marriage or money or enjoyment or fun, vacation, success. They're not bad, but they're bad when they're in the wrong order. And much of this stripping back process is exposing your heart as to what is, it, what is the order of your priorities here. Famous philosopher Henry Theroux once said that a man is rich in proportion to the things that he can leave alone. And you want to ask yourself, what could I leave alone? What within my little life that I deem to be happy and content, what could I go without? And I desperately, and I am not there. I am so not there. But I am hungering every day to get to the point where, like Paul, I can say that I've learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. I can do all these things. See, Paul was living in a wider space, up, down, left, right, shipwrecks, exalted. It didn't matter. He was content in Christ because he had that foundation. And so much of this stripping back process, the descent of discipleship, is about exposing what are the idols? Are you building your kingdom or his kingdom? And it's not easy. And I want to just kind of wrap up this little bit with um, a, a beautiful verse, but like a, a kind of like quench, like squeeze your butt verse in like... <laughs> James, uh, James is just a hard bucking chap. I mean, like James does not hold back. I mean, this guy had a point to make. He did. I mean, he didn't like. He didn't have much parchment clearly, so he went for it hard. So, opening line of James chapter one: Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work. Are you letting perseverance finish its work? It's actually on you. Let perseverance finish its work that you may be mature. There's that word again. And complete, not lacking anything. Often what you can find in this stripping back is that you become almost desperate for anything and you and you just try and get comfort from somewhere just try and numb the disappointment the pain from anywhere you netflix binge you overeat you go out you drink like all the small things right and and i want to encourage you in those moments where it's painful where you feel like god is stripping back where you're in a descent in this part of your life let perseverance finish its work because you will be mature you will be complete lacking Nothing. So I want to talk about the ascent now. Fast forward from February of 2013 through to January 2014. Uh, in, in the most miraculous of circumstances, most miraculous turnarounds, everything I lost was restored and more. And I turned up at 
my dream university with um, life intact. And to be honest, we're still a bit shaken. I think one thing that you'll find is after going through a season of stripping back, you can often... Um, find yourself uh, getting uh, getting a little apprehensive about good things again. You, you, you're nervous about getting your hopes up. There's, there's a story where Elijah uh, visits a woman during a time of, of drought and she, and she hosts him in his, in his um, uh, she hosts him in her apartment, basically gives him a, a rooftop apartment and, um, and he goes to her and says, "You know how can I, how can I repay you? Um, ca- can I talk to the king on your behalf?" Can I, can I give you some money? And she basically says, yeah, I don't, I don't want anything at all. Like, it's my, it's my joy to serve you. It's my, my joy to give you my, the, the kind of rooftop Airbnb here. Um, it's, it's, it's my joy. And, and basically, Elijah's kind of like, well, I kind of like to give you something. And Elijah's servant notices that she has no children. And so he says to Elijah, um, I, I think she's bound. I think she can't have children. And Elijah goes to her and he says, this time next year you'll hold a child in your arms. And this is what she says, Lord, don't get my hopes up. Don't get my hopes up. You see, this, this wasn't like some money that she needed. No, no, this, this was a deep disappointment. This, this was something that had gone on for decades, years, that had got into a stripping back process that had resulted in pain, that resulted in disappointment. And I want to encourage you, when you go through a season of stripping back, you have to continue to convince yourself that God is good, that he is a generous father, that he lavishes us with good things for our, for our joy. And so I think... I. I I, throughout that process, I, I was very wisely advised by, by people to, to go through the process. Let perseverance finish its work, but don't get hard. Don't get cynical. Don't allow yourself to lose hope, to lower the bar of what you believe God has promised you. And so uh, January 2014, I actually, um, I remember the moment my, my train landed um, at, at the train station at university. And I got off with all my bags, and again, the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, Aaron, this is going to be a blessed term. Uh, This is going to be a blessed kind of like several months for you. And what happened over those several months was just the most extraordinary level of favor and blessing and, and success that I that I've seen in, 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 in a long time. Everything I did worked, everything I prayed for happened. And I remember um, coming to the end of that term, and I distinctly remember just laying on my floor and using the same words that I told God when he stripped me back of these things a year before, that it's not fair. I was so overwhelmed when I saw other Christians struggling and I had the kind of like guilty survivor kind of like psychology of everything I have asked for you have given me and it felt unfair. It was so outrageous. It was so over the top that I lay there in the same overwhelming sense of it's not fair that I'd said to God a year ago when he stripped everything away. And so you're in, in the Christian journey, you can feel like you're, you're thrown from one extreme to the other. Uh, and so what I want to kind of just talk about here is um, what does maturity, Christ-likeness, discipleship look like in the seasons of ascent, in the seasons of your life where things are going as you hoped, where you have an abundance? The first thing to notice is that um, you are a steward of whatever God has given you, and you are primarily responsible f- to him for what he has given you. The Bible says that, you boast as if you you boast as if you earned it, but what do you have that you did not receive? 
And I want to encourage you, whatever you have, if you view it through the lens of this is a gift of God, how do I correctly steward it well? That is the first requirement that God asks of you. All of us will know the power of the talents. God gives you gifts, and he comes back and he says, hey, what did you do with what I gave you? Whether that gift is career success, whether it's you have influence on social media, whether you have wealth and income, whether you're particularly athletic, or, 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 or you got married, you have children, whatever these good things are, recognize at first that you are a steward of a gift that has come from God. And I think that makes us um, very sober as to how we treat these things. I think the second thing to understand is the purpose of the ascent is to serve others, is to use what you have to build the church, to serve the kingdom of God. Should you enjoy it? Absolutely you should. But recognizing that the gifts and the blessings that God has given you are primarily to be turned outwards and to serve and to bless. This is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received, whatever gift. As faithful stewards of God's gift, of God's grace in its various forms. Do you realize that when God gives you material wealth, that is a grace to benefit others? This is why generosity is so important. It's not even that you can hope that God's going to bless you back, which he absolutely will. It's that you are being a good steward of the resource that he's given you. And in the season of ascent, you can pour in and bless and serve others who maybe are struggling in that particular area. And that is the liberty and the freedom that comes the minute you receive something from God. You ask, Jesus, this is from you. This is for you. This is serve others. And so I willingly give it back out to bless others. This is the process of why God gives various gifts in the church, because the variety of gifts means that a people with a variety of needs can all benefit. And so ask yourself, Lord, what have you given me, and how can I use that to build your kingdom, to serve others, to bless table community? This is what it means for Christian maturity. This is what it means to look more like Christ. I do want to mention, um, however, some of the... Um, temptations that happen during this season of ascent. And I just want to read just a verse that's just really been on my heart the last couple of months, actually. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 29 to 31. The context here is, is, is Paul is talking about the end times. Paul is talking about the return of Christ and the restoration, the renewal of all things. And he says, what I mean, brothers, and he's quite long-winded, Paul. He's amazing. So he says, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they do not. And those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. And those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. It is perfectly fine to enjoy the ascent. It is not okay to be engrossed in the ascent. And you want to look at your life and say, what am I enjoying and what am I engrossed in? And you'll notice how the difference between being engrossed and enjoying manifests itself. The two things. Turn in your Bibles. I actually want to read this parable. So Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 16. It's a parable that Jesus tells about what happens during the ascent and how someone handles it incorrectly. Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 16. And he told them, Jesus, he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. This guy was clearly a baby boomer. No millennials getting that. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. 
He said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And I will store or hoard my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded of you. And then who's going to get all this that you had prepared? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. The first temptation during a season of ascent is you hoard. Is you try and provide a fortress for the rest of your life that I've now got this thing and no one can take it away from me. Or I know the most freeing way to deal with ascent is to give it straight back out again. It's to guard your heart from that thing becoming an idol when you have Christian leadership, when you get promoted at work, when you get a position of power or influence and you just want to hoard it, you just want to promote yourself, you want to constantly say in that position of leadership, what does Christ's likeness look like? It looks like serving. It looks like demoting my power in order to build others up. It looks like acting as a servant in the workplace rather than a dictatorial leader. This is what it means to enjoy what God has given you without being engrossed in what God has given you. The second danger, turn your Bibles to the book of Daniel chapter 4. The context here is that the Jewish nation have been taken captive into Babylon and several of the uh, Jewish young men have been brought before uh, the most powerful man on the planet, bar none at that time, which was the king of Babylon. Daniel was one of the people who was favored at this time and Daniel prophesies to the king of Babylon. He basically says, hey, um, you're going to get really blessed. And you need to guard your heart because it's going to become real tempting to build up a bit of pride. Now, you think if you got a prophecy, you might have taken it seriously. A guy doesn't really take it seriously. So this is Daniel chapter 4, verses 28, 12 months later. As the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said... Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? wonder how many of us think like that. Is not this my career that I have built for the glory of my LinkedIn profile? <laughs> it's not this. <laughs> it's not this my position of Christian leadership. I wonder how many times we forget where the goodness and the kindness has come from. And what happens is a remarkable story where this king is humbled. He loses everything, and he spends years out in the wilderness, actually loses his mind for a while, repents, and at the end there's this beautiful phrase, and I love this phrase, right at the end of um, verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, I praise and I exalt and I glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right. All his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. The second temptation that you find is a real genuine sense of pride, where you become proud of the achievement, of the ascent, of what you have accumulated, of the things you have, of the growth of your church, of the increase in your social media followings, of your athletic success in your university. And all of a sudden, it's no longer about giving glory to God and serving others. It's about getting glory for self and getting worship from others. And this comes all the way back round to the first sin, which was not, which was not Eve taking of the tree, 
It was Satan's pride in becoming like God. And I don't know that God has a hierarchy of sin, but there is one, only one phrase that I can find where God says, I hate something, and he says it about pride. Because I think it was the first sin, the first sin that he ever saw in his creation when Satan fell. The Bible says that his heart became proud on account of his beauty, and he corrupted his wisdom. And if Satan can get you to be proud, if Satan can get you to treat the ascent like you are worthy of affirmation and applause, worthy of the pedestal, worthy of all that you have, then you fall into the exact same trap that he himself did. Enjoy everything that God has given you. Use it to build the kingdom. Bless others. Enjoy it. But the point of Christian maturity is to be able to say, Lord, I want you more than this stuff. Jesus, I love you more than this stuff. And if you take it away, I'm okay with that. And if I lose it, that's okay, Jesus. And I know in the West, we have this ideal of up and to the right. I need my life to progress. I need to be able to measure some semblance of like progress toward the ideal. And what do you do when you end up like Paul? Final letter in Philippians. The guy, arguably with the exception of Jesus, who had the biggest influence on the Western world in the history of mankind. And his final days, he sat in a prison writing to one of his friends and disciples. And he says that everything that I had, I have lost for the sake of Christ. And yet I count it as dung. I count it as nothing for the excellency of what? Of knowing, of being with Jesus. And if you can balance between what God has given you and who God is himself, that is what it means to look like Christ. Because even Christ, the Bible says in Philippians 2, humbled himself, gave up all of his glory, lost everything to be obedient to the will of the Father. Both the ascent and the descent are both parts of the Christian life. It will happen to all of us. And I don't want you to think that one is from God and the other is not. Both are what it means to be more like Jesus. And if you will treat it maturely, and if you will walk with the Spirit of God and be with Jesus and ask for his help in every season of your life, you will be mature. You will be steadfast. You will be completely unmoved by whatever is happening in your external circumstance. And it doesn't mean you become a monk and run to the desert and live in, a tur in just a tunic. It means you can have the stuff. It means you can have the stuff, but the stuff doesn't have you. And you ask yourself in your heart, Lord, does the stuff have me? Or do you have the stuff in my heart? Finish with a fantastic um, blog <laughs> that John Piper wrote several years ago. When we have little and have lost much, the descent, Christ comes and reveals himself as more valuable than anything which we lost. And when we have much and we're overflowing in abundance, the ascent, Christ comes and shows that he is far superior to everything that we have. Would you stand, church? Jesus, I thank you that the greatest gift we can ever have is yourself. I thank you that, God, whatever happens in our lives this next week, this next month, this next year, whether we're on ascent or descent, that we already have the most prized possession, that we can be with Jesus. That by your Spirit, we can walk with you every single day. 
And so I pray, Holy Spirit, in the few minutes we have, I pray, Father, you would do a work in the heart of every person right now. God, I pray for those that have lost hope, for those that have seen a stripping back, for those that feel like they've gone backwards. Spirit of God, I pray that you would reveal the way that you have formed Christ in them, a treasure far more valuable than anything this world can offer. Restore hope. Spirit of God, restore an expectation that their Father is more than able to overwhelm them with good things. I pray for those, Father God, that are in the ascent, those whose lives are awesome, those who look forward to Monday morning. Jesus, I pray that they would use everything that they have, every resource for your kingdom, not to build their empire, but to serve your kingdom, Father. Lord, keep our hearts from pride. Keep our hearts from hoarding. Help us be an open-handed, a generous community. Everything that we have is to build and to serve others in your kingdom, Lord. While Tim's playing, I want you to do some business with God. I want you to speak to him about the areas of your life where you feel this ascent and descent and say, Spirit of God, where am I at? How am I doing? Holy Spirit, help me to see Jesus in this. Lord, we love you. We hunger for your presence. I want to want you more, God. I pray for every life in this room that we would look more like Jesus next week than we do today. Just in this space, I'm aware that there might be some in this room who've never really maybe even thought about God before. Maybe you're unsure as to why you came this morning. Or perhaps you have thought about God before and you've just never really felt like you found him. God is here. And I suspect there's some who are standing here and your heart is racing even now because you know I'm talking to you. I feel the invitation of God and I felt it right from the beginning of worship. That in this moment, we get to say to him, yes, okay, I believe you are here. I believe you are real. Jesus, I believe that you are God. Do I understand how it all works? No. Do I want to enter into adventure with you? Yes. I want to say sorry for being the leader of my own life. I want you to lead me. I want to lean on you, not on my stuff or on the concept of a perfect life. It has faltered and failed me. I want to lean on you. And so if that's you, uh, can I just ask every eye to be closed for this moment? But if that's you and you've never responded to God before, but today you want to say yes, I want to just ask you to put up your hand. This isn't a formula, but this is a moment where you physically say, I'm here and I'm saying yes to you. I'm here and I'm saying, yes, I want you to be my king. Yes, I accept you both as Savior who rescues me and Lord who leads me. In the name of Jesus, God, you see, you see hands. 
And so we invite you, Spirit of God, to just come and rest on those responding. Come and meet with them. Let the love of the Father overwhelm you as you respond to Him now. We thank you, Jesus, for what you are doing in hearts and lives here. And if you're responding to Jesus, I want to encourage you. The Bible talks about repentance, which includes in it a sense of saying sorry, but much more is about turning around the way you think. And in this moment, you have an opportunity to say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done with my life. I'm sorry for the things that I just know deep down weren't good and didn't please your heart. And in this moment, I want to change the direction I'm walking in. I give you control of where we go. I lean on your life, Jesus. I accept that you died for me and that you rose again to empower my life. We just have this moment welcoming the life and the power of God. And I'm aware that there are people in this room, and you may have responded to God before, but you know you are not walking with Jesus. Even as Aaron was talking about spending time with him, you're just aware that's just not true of you. Technically, you are a Christian. Experientially, that is not something that happens Monday through Saturday in your life. And just in this moment, I can feel the tug of Holy Spirit just whispering to people in this room, there is more than you've made of your life. And it's not about reaching a summit. It's not about getting to the next level of the whatever that you've been aiming for. It's a recognition that with God, your life will be glorious regardless of ascent or descent. Without Him, you are settling for far too little. And so in this moment, if that's you, Just open up your hands. Allow him to come with his kindness and his goodness, but also a clarity of what you were made for and what he's inviting you into. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you are a God who is good, who leads us into adventure. (laughs) We want to look more like you. I want to look more like you. The fruit of the table will not be simply increase in numbers, patting ourselves on the back because we got more people into a room. We want to look like you. We want to fill this city with men and women who reflect Jesus in how we live, in how we decide what to do, in who we talk to, in all of the things that we would look like you. We make room for you. I pray this would be the most radical week of encountering you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church, for being here this morning. I pray that what has been ignited this morning would just continue through your week. Monday morning is as glorious as Sunday morning, I promise you. And so enjoy this week. Community groups are on on Wednesday uh, and on Tuesday. So if you want to speak about groups and you haven't been to one, please come and join me over there and I will chat to you about it. Have a wonderful week, church. This is the Sunday Morning Podcast from The Table, Boston, where you'll find the latest teachings from our Sunday meetings. 
Find more from us at thetableboston.com.